0: It's good to see everybody. Uh, Christmas, man, it's only like a week away. I didn't, I didn't realize that until Steph said it. Uh, you know, I get lost in my mind and I don't think about these things. Man, a week away. I got two sermons to write this week. Uh, <laughs> it's the first thing I thought about. Like, oh, shoot. You know, anyway. Um, uh, in in uh, the Christmas account... Uh, when we read that, right? We're not going to read all of it today, but uh, in the Christmas account for Mary and for Elizabeth and for the shepherds and for the prophets, Simeon and Anna, Christmas meant joy. I love that verse that they read for little Grady there. Uh, Christmas meant jo- and that joy, and that's what we want to explore today is that concept of joy. Uh, but recalling our... Um, uh, anchor passage for this series, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. We want to center ourselves today on verse 2, 8. We're not going to read that whole passage again, but we're going to just read this one verse. And that says, and being found in appearance as a man, so the incarnation of Christ, right? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, uh, even death on a cross. By the way, somebody left the I love Gen mug up here. I don't Jen Smith, we had a white elephant. Jen Smith gave this as a gift to somebody else in our community group the other day. I love Jen. And I just noticed it while, while they, were, they were speaking. But anyway. But being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Oh, I'm glad you're well. By the way. Yeah. Gosh. Katie Bogle's back. Woohoo! That's a blessing. By the way, you're in the sermon later, so don't be embarrassed. Um <laughs> <laughs> but but being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now the circumstances that we just read there, uh, surrounding the end of Jesus' life, certainly don't sound joyous, uh, you know, at first glance, unless you're privy to the empty grave which follows. Right, um, the whole story. The joy is that Jesus would humble himself and, you know, go all the way to that painful cross and come out of that empty grave for you and for me. That's the joy, right? The circumstances, though, revolving around the beginning of his life in Luke 141 seem much more joyous. You remember Mary goes to visit she's pregnant and she goes to visit her, her relative Elizabeth who's also pregnant and it says when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting the baby leapt within her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit that's just a, just a wonderful little uh, snippet of this this beautiful close relationship between them and it's what's happening there is just kind of joyous right have you ever seen two loving women you know who have been separated from a long uh, for a lengthy time you know re reconnect uh, it's it's certainly a joyous moment um, let alone two pregnant relatives you know they are just so excited you know to be having that baby around the same time and all that stuff and you notice that there's this aspect of the holy spirit's involvement and presence here in this whole moment elizabeth is filled with the holy spirit and um Something We see there that something magical happens. It did for me years ago. Something magical happens when presented with Jesus for the first time. If you, if you remember back your first meeting, something powerful, something emotive, something moving that goes beyond just feeling. It is really a divine encounter like no other, right? Like nothing else in your life. If you haven't experienced that, I pray that you do. But you know, when thinking about joy, joy is in short supply in our world right now, right? It really is. It doesn't seem like joy when you listen to the radio or watch the news sometimes. And we, you know, we may have bursts of happiness tied to circumstances in our lives, but joy is in short supply. And so the question is: as people of God, as as Christ's own. People, followers of Jesus are we a people of lasting deep joy do people see that in us you know according to the gospel the greatest joy one, any one of us can have will or, or ever will experience is the direct result of our experience of this divine indwelling and ongoing sort of presence of God who is himself joy joy right I had a great moment last night. I was out practicing my sermon. I go out in my car and sit in my car in empty parking lots. It's kind of strange. Sometimes the police roll up and say, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, they think I'm smoking a joint because I'm like a... a yeah, I got dreadlocks. They're like, this guy's got to be smoking a joint in this parking lot. Right? But um, I, I sit there and I, and, and I just... You know, it was so quiet and beautiful outside. And I, and, I, and I felt like the Holy Spirit just said to me, you know what, I care about people, but I care about all this as well. These trees, this creation. I mean, it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. Side note. Sorry, slide person. Um, but God is joy. And that's the connection that we have. I remember my first, <laughs> my first few months and first few years of following Jesus. Um, I I couldn't contain the joy of my salvation. Everyone within earshot of me heard the gospel, whether they liked it or not. Everybody heard what Jesus had done for Jason in Jason's life, right? And I'm not saying that I was some evangelical saint. Uh, On the contrary, I was fairly obnoxious and sort of uh, innocently offensive (laughs) many times but you couldn't mistake the one thing you couldn't do is you couldn't mistake my joy for anything but joy I was filled with joy I remember asking a friend and his girlfriend over for dinner at that time in my life along with the girl that I was dating at the moment uh, who was also a new believer and this poor corner (laughs) this poor uh, couple was cornered in my kitchen for like three hours right, with two very enthusiastic and overjoyed born-again Christians. Now, believe me, I know how bothersome that can be. Even as a Christian, even as a pastor, I've been cornered on the street or in the mall by born-again Christians, you know, trying to witness to me before they find out that I'm a pastor. And even after they found out I'm a pastor, they kind of grill me to make sure that I actually do know the gospel, right? And even though I fully agree with every word they're saying, I really want smack them silly they're kind of a pain in the butt right and we must have said the word Jesus 500 times over the course of that meal and I can only imagine they got in the car after they left and he turned to her and said you know what I'm really sorry I had no idea they were going to be like that he wasn't always like that he was kind of a jerk before you know Um, in a different way I guess but the joy of salvation just poured out of me during that time. Just poured out of me, often in inappropriate ways. Verses like Philippians 2.8 really were so incredibly meaningful for me at that time. Now here's the question. 30 years later, have I lost that joy? I hope not, right? I hope not. But should I get back to that obnoxious, blathering state? I hope not. <laughs> I hope not, and let me explain by illustration. I remember my eldest brother his son is here today with his girlfriend. hi guys. Um, he inspired me to put my cowboy boots back on he o- He only wears cowboy boots, i think but um uh, i I remember his father, my eldest brother. Uh, met his now wife when you know that moment when he first met her and the first night we were in the kitchen the first night he tried to call her on the phone and ask her out and uh, how awkward how tongue-tied he was in the anticipation and the joy of talking to this girl you know guys you know remember like when you first talked to your wife or your girlfriend that you really loved you know it's like she was just My, She glowed like she was so special. Right. And uh, I remember how that how when they were first dating, they were so lovey dovey with each other. And then when they first got married, after they got home from their their honeymoon, I remember seeing them drive off and she was like right underneath his arm. And he was like, you know, so cool driving his car on the bench seat. You remember bench seats? Some of you are old enough to have cars with bench seats. I bring those back. They're great for dating. Right. But, you know, I love those things. Even my truck didn't have a bench seat. I don't know. I don't get it. But anyway, but now, after years of marriage, they're not so lovey-dovey anymore. She sits squarely in the passenger seat when they drive. She doesn't lean over to him anymore. But their love is no less real. It's just matured, hasn't it? Love isn't only romance, right? We know that. It's commitment, it's action, it's choice, walking through the ups and downs of life together. Love grows into this settled familiarity with the other, with your spouse, with your you know, with your spouse over time. And over time that the joy of that relationship may not be so outwardly emotive, as much as inwardly solid and stable and quiet, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In the beginning of our journey with Jesus, we may be a little overtaken, a little, you know, endearingly and inappropriate at moments. That's okay. That is part of the process. It's kind of fun to watch. It's kind of fun to go through that. But and joy can be uncontrollable. But as we mature in Jesus over time, we do find that our joy comes out in other ways, no less joyful but more like quiet assurance and deep gratitude, like a, like a, like a river of living water you know, meandering quietly through the valleys of our life, assuring of us of this hope and this peace and this future that we have in Christ, right? But it is true that the kingdom of God, when it comes into a person's life, it comes with joy. It really does. Joy's the common experience of virtually every person we come upon in the, in the birth narrative of Jesus when we read that story. Unless you're Herod, unless you're the, you know, sort of the gossipy old women, neighbors of Mary or the angel of death, right? Joy was the overwhelming part of God's entry into the world at Christmas. It was a joyous occasion. And we can hear that joy evident in Elizabeth when the baby leapt in her womb upon meeting Mary, uh, you know, pregnant Mary. And she says in Luke 1, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill uh, his promises to her. Listen to that last one. Blessed is she who who has believed, who's accepted, who is open to this gift. Who doesn't argue against it, doesn't fight it, but receives it, right? Mary's joy is equally evident as well as she breaks out into this worshipful song, the, the Magnificat, beginning with... My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for He has been mindful of the humble state of of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. And then she continues on with this wonderful song. Now, did they uh, fully understand everything that was going on in that moment? I I don't think they did. I wouldn't have, right? Right? But were their hearts open, simply open to receive this Christmas gift of God become man in this unexpected baby? I think they were. I think they were very open. Um, Perhaps that openness was uh, what allowed them to experience joy and for joy to flourish and overtake them. Right? They could have second-guessed. They could have doubted. They could have held back. They could have, you know, been skeptical. They could have not believed. They do show like an incredulity. You know, they're like, oh my gosh, like in their questions to the angel Gabriel and whatnot. But nowhere do they seem to play the role of contrarian. And the contrarian is the person who would seek to argue against God's message back and forth. Just argue rather than simply receive it. Some approach. Some of us approach the story of God as contrarians with a "yeah but" attitude, right? We've said it here before at six eight, scratch your butts, get rid of the butts, right? Yeah but, yeah but, yeah but. We read, you know, these stories. We read the Gospels. We read the the the, the scriptures, and we say, "Yeah but," or "But so and so says," right? We've listened. We've listened to those who have made it their career to inject doubt into the Scriptures and therefore into the hearts of Christians. And we live to that. We choose to live like that. And those voices, let me say just as pastor, I just want to proclaim this, those voices are, I believe, resounding gongs and clanging cymbals. They amount to nothing. Their arguments are like smoke on a windy day. Do we think that these arguments have never been made before? Of course they have. It's been hundreds of years, right? Are they so intelligent that they have found something new in the Scriptures or in history? No, of course they haven't. And the Word of God still stands despite all the assaults upon it. This is still a true story. It is still the best story. And instead of just receiving this gift of the Word of God come to us, some just choose to question incessantly. And it does them no good. Let me put it this way. What would my marriage be like if every time my wife turned to me and said, I love you, Jason. And I said, yeah, but do you really? Right? Do you? What about that time? And then I listed off uh, every little mistake that I perceived my wife to make in our marriage. I'm not receiving her love at that moment and in that way. I'm, I'm spitting on it. I'm denying it. I'm questioning it. I'm arguing against it. I'm not receiving it. And many of us do this in reference to God's efforts and expression of love towards us in the gospel of Christ. We choose not to receive it with joy, like Mary and Elizabeth did. We can be like the bride that refuses to consummate the marriage. We say we want the relationship, but we don't want to get that close. We don't want to really, really receive our husband. Chuck shared with me the other day how he and Christy have been reading through the whole Bible. The value of reading through the Scriptures, receiving it, letting it wash over you. Let the truth just soak into you. Not, not that you have to understand every little detail, and definitely not that you know, driving through num- the book of Numbers is that easy, right? It's pretty difficult. He told me that Christie said, do we have to read all this? And he said, yeah, we got to keep going, right? But that you simply receive the proclamation of God's message to you. That's an important word, proclamation. Giving God the chance to speak truth into your heart, your life, right? See, God doesn't incrementally give us truth. Or He doesn't only give us half-truth. He proclaims full-blown loving truth in the Scriptures. Full-blown loving truth. And the contrarian will never receive that with joy. They'll pick it apart, right? They'll decide for themselves what's true. If, if this part is true, as compared to that part and all that stuff, it's only the childlike heart of faith, not childish, remember, but childlike heart of faith which can receive and rejoice in Christ who will just receive God's Word to them. So are you contrarian or childlike in your faith? Confess it if you are a contrarian. Confess it. Just go to Jesus and say, I'm sorry. I've been questioning and questioning you to death in my heart. I want to receive you. I want to receive you. If, you, if, if childlike, the kingdom comes with joy, And it comes with laughter as well. Have you ever seen a mother? There's some mothers in here that are pregnant right now. Have you ever seen a mother with her baby when it suddenly moves within her womb? The first reaction is a smile and then she usually laughs, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful, there's like a little burst of laughter. It's just a beautiful moment. I remember the very first time we felt my oldest son Aiden move in Kim's stomach. I had come home from work and I had tackled her on the bed and get your minds out of the gutter. I just just an innocent, like, tackled her on the bed, and I was laying on top of her, kind of like bugging her, you know, and then I felt this flutter on my stomach. And I said, what was that? And she goes, you felt that? And I'm like, yeah, I felt that. And it was the first time she had ever felt him. We both felt him at the same time, the very first time, our first child. It was really cool. We went nuts, and there was a lot of joy. It was a joyous moment. There was a lot of laughter right then. See, joy can't be bottled up for long, right? Joy's wonderful. Can't be bottled up for long. If you haven't met Katie Bogle, you should. This is what I was talking about. Right? If you want to meet someone, know, know someone that has the joy of salvation, get around Katie Bogle for five minutes. It's, it's, it's infectious. She oozes joy. She basks in Jesus. Love for her. She's just such a blessing and such an encouragement to many of us, and she is just, she just lives in this state of gratitude and joy of what's been done for her on the cross. Amen. Amen, right? Those of you who know her know that. Sorry, I'm embarrassing you. But God bless you. You're an encouragement. Life and joy. Growing and bouncing and moving underneath the surface of our lives like a baby in a pregnant belly is the primary indicator that God's kingdom activity is stirring within us, right? And many, if not all of us, uh, who come to faith in Jesus have our story which includes joy, you know, when you first meet Jesus, you can't help but to experience joy at some level. And joy is a sustained sense of well-being. It's, dict- it's dictated not by circumstances. The world could be falling apart. You can still have joy. It's rather, it is dictated by relationship. By relationship. Right? Joy weathers all of the ups and downs since it's fueled by our humble King who has birth hope and birth peace into our lives. Joy is the well-being of knowing that God is with you under the surface at all times with, with you, with you by way of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at all moments. We are in, in a sense, all pregnant with Jesus and the joy of that relationship. He, he lives within us. Joy has enabled people to smile before their enemies and to laugh when the world they know it is just falling to pieces all around them. The Apostle Paul expresses that a number of times in his writings. A.W. Tozer was quoted as saying, the Christian owes it to the world to be supernaturally joyful, right? Hayden, the great musician, was once asked why his church music was so cheerful. And he replied, when I think upon God, my heart is so full of joy that the notes dance and leap as it were from my pen. And since since God has given me a cheerful heart, it will be pardoned me that I serve him with a cheerful spirit. Amen. The smile that has dawned the face of countless millions, millions of people who have had an experience with the Spirit of Jesus must not be unlike the smile that we can guess was on Elizabeth's face that she wore when she and her unborn son met face to face and womb to womb with Mary and Jesus. Joy is a positive you know, human condition which can be either feeling or action. Right? Feeling or action. The Bible uses it in both ways. A feeling called forth by sort of well-being and success and good fortune and all that. A person automatically experiences it, you know, because of favorable circumstances in in, in their lives. You know, something good happens and they feel joyous about it. In that sense, it can't be commanded. It can't be conjured. It's just experienced, right? The shepherd experienced it when it's experienced joy when he found his lost sheep in Matthew 18. The multitude felt it when Jesus healed the Jewish woman whom Satan had bound for 18 years in Luke chapter 13. The disciples returned to Jerusalem rejoicing after Jesus' ascension in Luke 24. Joy was the feeling that that the church had in Antioch when its members heard that the Jerusalem council had decided they didn't have to be circumcised and follow the law in Acts 15. That was a nice touch, right? (laughs) Paul mentioned his joy in hearing about the obedience uh, of the Roman Christians in Romans 16. He wrote to the Corinthians that love does not rejoice in wrong, but rejoices in right in 1 Corinthians 13 but like we've said also about hope and peace joy is also an action something to be practiced something to be engaged with I, side note i i told uh, the guys uh, over breakfast this week you know many times I, when i'm standing here you know when you when you, these guys are doing worship in the beginning i i'm tired <laughs> I, i'm like i don't want to get up there and preach like i i'm something bad may have happened to me this week and all that stuff but man well, as soon as i start engaging i just i you know i choose to engage in worship and my countenance changes my my demeanor changes where was i um so like we said about hope and peace, the joy is this thing that we can, be, we can practice. There's a, there's a joy that Scripture commands of us, right? An action which can be engaged in regardless of how we feel. Proverbs 5.18 tells the reader to rejoice in the wife of his, of his youth, right? What, you know, what, without reference to what she might be like, you know, there are many times that you don't feel too great about your spouse, but you can still rejoice over your spouse. Am I right? I'm right, right? Right? Sometimes? Maybe? <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, Christ instructed His disciples to rejoice when they were persecuted and, and reviled and slandered in Matthew chapter 5. The Apostle Paul commanded continuous rejoicing in Philippians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5. James said, "Christians uh, are to reckon it all joy when they fall into various testings, because these testings produce endurance." in James chapter one. right? First, Peter 4:13 seems to include both action and emotion when it says this. It says, "But rejoice the action. Choose to rejoice, right? in where? And so far as you share in Christ's suffering, so when you're suffering, suffering choose to joy, that you may also rejoice and be glad." The emotion, right? When His glory is revealed. Joy in adverse circumstances is possible only as a fruit of the Holy Spirit present in every Christian. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, right? And you know what? Sometimes our countenance, the way that we hold ourselves, the way that we are presented physically to people is our only witness, and we don't really understand sometimes who's really watching us. Side note as well, sorry, I'm a lot of side notes today, but I remember I went to pick up something at Steph's office one day, and then after I left, Steph told me that her boss said that, oh, Jason was in a good mood today. I'm like, what does that mean? She goes, well, she thinks you're always in a bad mood when you come here. And it struck me. I was like, wow, that's not a good witness. I'm not in a bad mood. Like, what did I do that made her, (laughs) you know what I mean? I didn't like that, but not that Steph told me that. But I, I didn't like that I came off that way, right? I, I don't want that's not the spirit that I want to I want to portray to people. So sometimes our accountant is the only uh, is our only witness. We don't realize well, who's really watching us. Years ago, there was a missionary named At. Adoniram, there's a good name, right? Adoniram Judson. He sounds like he would have died on the field, right? Um, He was home on furlough, and as he made his way through Stonington, Connecticut, he he met this little boy on the street. Or this little boy actually just saw him on the street, and he was struck by his joyful face, his joyful countenance, and he'd never seen such a light on a human face before. Uh, He ran up the street to a pastor and he asked the pastor who the stranger was and the pastor went back with him and got so engaged with Judson that he forgot about the little boy. And years later, that boy, greatly influenced by Judson's face, became a famous preacher by the name of Henry Clay Trumbull. And in a book of memoirs, he penned uh, a chapter titled What a Boy Saw in the Face of Adoniram Judson. Right? Right? That lighted face, that lighted countenance, changed that boy 's life i 've told you the story before that there was a man when I was like nineteen, twenty years old. I worked in a in a construction guy 's uh, well, lumberyard, I forget. It wasn't your regular lumberyard. It was where all the construction guys came. in a big, huge house, like this big, you know, and just trucks would drive through the middle. and We'd chuck wood in there or use the forklift or whatever. And it was always this one guy, African-American guy, wonderful, bright, bright guy. Loved him. He had Jesus stickers all over his hand. I'm not a fan of Jesus stickers on the car, but this guy, it fit right? Just full of joy. Never, I never really talked to him that much. I mean, he just came in and he was like, God bless you. Ah, blah, blah. And he just taught. And I loved that guy, loved him. And I just remember him. He was a witness to me. Years later, I, when I came to faith, I remembered him. I remember how he made me feel as he walked through the room. See, people need to see joy in us. They do. They really do. Like flowers strive and thrive bending towards the sunshine. You know, you put a flower, if it's bent this way and you put it the window over here, it'll go like that. Right? Shining, joyful, radiant faces come to those who constantly turn towards Christ with open hearts, receiving Him. And it influences people like crazy. Taking the time to drink from the well of living water, to be filled up with Jesus, comes out in all ways, even in how you look and how you carry yourself. Others notice it. In a world that is starved for the things of God, in a joyless world starved for the things of God, we can at least be the people of hope and of peace and of joy. Right? In how we carry ourselves through life since we are filled with the Holy Spirit we are filled with the Spirit of God we do have the assurance of the message of Christ in us the kingdom comes not only with joy and with uh, laughter but also with singing you ever think how weird it is that we sing right it's just kind of strange to get in a room with a bunch of people and sing songs it's just kind of weird angels sang at the at Christ's birth remember that just what, Just imagine experiencing that. Why, why is singing such a key to a joy-filled church? Why is it? Singing, unless you are one of the world's great vocalists, is often an, a, a great act of humility. It is on my part. <laughs> right? That's why I sit in the front row. I don't have to sing in anybody's ear. Poor guys up here hear me, but you guys don't have to, right? It's an act of humility for most of us. I have a friend who's man who sings like this. He is totally unembarrassed, and he's—you'll hear him sometime. He'll visit, and you'll be like, "Oh, that's the guy Jason talked about." He's—he's <laughs> he's terrible, terrible. And if he hears this, he won't care that I said that. He just doesn't care what you think, and he blah blah blah. And it's just, oh gosh. And I sit next to him, and I'm like, Keith, shut up, just shut up. You know, God bless him. God bless him. I'm glad he does. I'm glad but it is embarrassing see the proud rarely sing in public they're too busy caring for their image they're, they're courting the, the you know, crowd they, they care what you think they're considering how important it is to hide their uncontrolled emotion Siri just popped on for something uh, their uncontrolled emotion they, 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 they uh, portray this impervious strength they can't let their, the, the chinks in their armor show Right? I've been that. But the humble, the humble sing. Isn't that nice? The bells coming out again. And when, and, and when the humble sing, they sing with gusto. They let it go. Right? Mary sang the Magnificat when Elizabeth came to visit her. Paul and Barnabas sang in prison despite their obviously problematic circumstances. Right, <laughs> You're Singing in prison. Isn't that awesome? What if, what if you had a group of Christian prisoners just sang every morning in prison? Don't you think that that would change that prison? I think it would. Every week, Christians show up in church and sing. Not because we have amazing voices. Really, it's not. It's not because we're so eager for everybody around us to hear our bellowing, right? But because we are filled with joy and we are practicing joy. It's a beautiful thing. And even when Christians aren't feeling joy, filled with joy, singing is a powerful gateway, like I told you that I do here every Sunday morning. It's a powerful gateway to joy being renewed by the Spirit within us. Letting it go. When we sing truth, we tend to believe truth all the more. Right? It gets into us. It gets ingrained into our synopses of our brain, into the, you know, the fibers of our being. And when we sing, the joy of the kingdom can invade not only our own hearts, but also the hearts of those who are listening around us. It affects people. Bill Massey to, uh, just told the guys at breakfast the other day how his men's group in Florida, before he moved here, he was a part of a men's group and they used to go to an IHOP or something like that. And every morning they would, or once a, once a week they would go and meet there and they were kind of in a side room, but it was still open to the rest of the restaurant and they would sing. They would worship. They would begin singing songs, right? And then, you know, after a while, the other people that were regulars in the restaurant came to say to them, we're really looking forward to hearing you guys sing every week. It's just such a nice thing, right? The proud rarely sing. Proud people don't sing. The humble can't sing enough. Unless you're Kanye West, I guess you sing. You're pretty prideful, but sing by yourself. (laughs) <laughs> we just got an echo dot at our house brilliant product free promo item my dad signed up for serious whatever got a echo dot and because he's in his 80s he said do you want this i have no idea what to do with it yeah sure brilliant brilliant product i love music love it but i'm not a music buff i don't know much about it i don't i i, I don't i can't Take the time to learn about it. I don't want to spend the money on it all that much. But this thing is great. All I did is hooked it up and said, Alexa, play me some Christian worship music. And suddenly my kitchen is filled with praise. Filled with praise. Echoing through the halls of my house. It helps my mood. It lifts me up. It changes me. Singing. I sing when nobody else is there. I sing. Right? It changes me. Sometimes I play Wagner. That's cool. That's godly. It is. It really is. Let's just it's really cool. Find some worship music. Find some Christmas songs that you most love to sing this Christmas season. Take an hour to get them on your phone. Get them in your playlist. And then as you listen throughout the holidays, sing. Sing. Right? Find spaces in your day. You know, to sing loudly, whether it's in your car or in your home when nobody's around or in the shower, wherever you prefer to do it or just at church here, whatever, and let your singing renew your Christmas joy once again. It is a powerful thing. Remember, the king the kingdom comes with joy, the kingdom came with laughter, and the kingdom comes with singing. So let's let ourselves go. Let's let ourselves go in order to receive the gift of Jesus. Let's put away our distrust. Let's put away our skepticism. Let's put away our anxiety. Let's put away our fear. Let's put away our anger. Let's put away all that garbage that stands in the way. Let's be filled with the Spirit. And let's choose to practice joy this season even when we don't feel it. And I guarantee you it will change your life. Because the message that we bear is good news not only for us, but for the rest of the world. Isaiah 52.7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, and who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are so... I am overjoyed this morning. You are a good God. Standing outside, hearing the wind blow through the trees, seeing the Christmas lights all around, even in the windows of people that don't understand why they do it. (laughs) I pray that they would. I pray that the joy of this season would just infect everybody around us, Father, that there would be questions asked of who this God is that we celebrate and we joyfully follow. We pray that Your name would be made great. That we would be walking with You well. That we would be reflecting Your joy and Your love and Your peace and Your hope to the people around us. And we thank You for this.